in today's episode of 750 Mills. Remember when we talked about space tourism? Well, now we apparently also have secret missions to the International Space Station and it somehow involves Star Trek. Have you ever wanted to tell someone to get a personality transplant? Well, you can actually change your personality if you get a transplant. All of that plus today's secret link and the featured track is coming at you right now. Hey everyone, welcome to 715 Mills, the show that's all about bringing you good news, interesting stories, and genuinely useful things to know. And this is the last episode of the year 2020. We made it! I'm glad to have you hanging out with me, my name is Andre, and today we've got a few interesting things to talk about. And if nothing else, I hope that you listen through this entire episode and come away not just entertained, although that would be good too, but also more inclined as to how you, personally, can take on the future with a bit of cautious optimism. I'm not just yanking anyone's chain here, and there's nothing in here that's going to be a lecture or a sermon. Just good news, real stories, useful stuff, and space on science that I'm hoping is simple enough to be entertaining, but not too simple that it sounds like I'm just making stuff up. Anyway, let's just jump into it. Let's start with a quick bit of good news before diving deep into the deeper dive stuff. There you go. We've got in store for this episode. Just this month in Atlanta, a 53-year-old homeless man named Keith Walker risked his life to save several cats and dogs trapped in an animal shelter called W Underdogs. In a statement to CNN, W Underdogs founder Gracie Hamlin said this, quote, He is my guardian angel. Even the firefighters didn't want to handle the dogs. They called animal control, but Keith was already in the building pulling out cats and dogs until they were all safe. I can't thank him enough for saving my animals. I'm still in disbelief because I've been around fire and I know how fast they flare up. He is my hero. End quote. The shelter wasn't completely destroyed, but the fire made it uninhabitable. On the upside, W Underdogs was only a week away from moving to its new facility, so that's a bit of a consolation there. Gracie lets Keith, who has been homeless since he was 13, keep his dog Bravo at the shelter every night. He was on his way to pick up Bravo for a walk when he saw the fire. In the end, Keith rescued a total of 6 dogs and 10 cats. For his part, Keith said this, quote, If you love a dog, you can love anyone in the world. My dog is my best friend, and I wouldn't be here without him, so I knew I had to save all those other dogs. Next up, Remember when we talked about space tourism in episode 2 of the podcast? Well, just a few years ago, the very first private citizens were able to pay their way into traveling to and taking a vacation in outer space. Granted, it was very expensive, but that meant the beginning of a new era of space travel. You no longer needed permission from the government to leave planet Earth. You just need lots of money. We talked about the very first space tourists. First ever was American businessman and former NASA Jet Propulsion Lab scientist Dennis Tito, and then it was canonical CEO Mark Shuttleworth, if you've ever used Ubuntu Linux as your handiwork. And third went engineer, entrepreneur, scientist, physics professor, businessman, and overachiever Gregory Olson. Now, we're going to talk about one Richard Garriott, another accomplished millionaire who paid $30 million to travel to and take a vacation in outer space. 
but not just because of who he is and what he's accomplished. We're talking about Richard Garriott because he brought engineer Montgomery Scott of the USS Enterprise with him. That's right, Scotty from Star Trek to the International Space Station. Here's the thing, nobody knew until now. The character of Montgomery Scott in the original Star Trek television series was played by actor James Doohan. He passed away in 2005 at the age of 85. His family wanted to fulfill his wish of getting on the ISS, but official requests were denied. That's where video game developer, entrepreneur, and founder of the now-defunct Portalarium video game development company Richard Garriott comes in. Richard is actually the son of astronaut Owen Garriott, but you may have heard more about what Richard has been responsible for. He created the Ultima series of video games and he coined the term Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game, or MMORPG, among the many other accomplishments he's had elsewhere. He eventually went on to invest in American space tourism company Space Adventures, which was part of his process to send himself into space. But Richard suffered a few financial setbacks in 2001, thanks to the dot-com bubble bursting way back then. Richard was forced to sell his seat into outer space to Dennis Tito, who we now know became the first private citizen to go into space. Back to Montgomery Scott. How would he get onto the ISS if all official requests were denied? Well, Richard Garriott brought him along for the ride, that's how. He just didn't tell anybody else. Richard Garriott smuggled some of the ashes of actor James Doohan onto the International Space Station's Columbia module. In a 41-second video clip posted on an article in The Times Online, Richard, from the ISS, in zero gravity, addressing James Doohan's son, Chris, said the following, quote, Hey Chris, Richard Garrett here, on board the ISS. I just wanted you to know, mission accomplished. Your father has made it here into space, and in fact, all the way up here to the International Space Station. I'm very proud to have had the chance to do this for you, and for your family, and for your father. It's very special to me. And that was something your father wished for and you've tried to make happen. And I can't tell you how proud I am to be able to do this. End quote. It's not actually the first time James Doohan has made it to space posthumously. In 2012, some of his ashes went up into space aboard the SpaceX Falcon 9. His ashes have since traveled about some 1.7 billion miles across space, as well as having orbited the Earth more than 70,000 times. That's a lot. Hey everyone, just taking a quick early break here before we get into the meteor side of this episode, because I wanted to thank all of you for tuning in. Without you guys listening to this, it just wouldn't be worth it. So there's some interesting stuff about where you guys are from and how you like to listen to the podcast. Here's a few things I learned about you guys over the past year. You guys look like you mostly listen in from three places. These are the top three the United Kingdom, Russia, and then the United States, followed by a smattering of other places like Spain, the Philippines, and a few other countries throughout Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. I thought it was interesting that it's mostly folks from the US and Russia who listen through downloads, while everybody else mostly prefers streaming the podcast through mobile phones. Meanwhile, you guys who are more like me who do everything through a laptop are pretty much going the way of a dinosaur. I don't think there are too many of us who consume media and listen to stuff on actual computers. And it's been a pretty interesting ride to 15 episodes, and I'm looking forward to doing a lot more with 750 mils next year. I've got a lot of stuff planned. 
You guys seen the new audiograms yet? So check out 750 Mills on Facebook and Twitter. Hit the like and the follow button if you haven't yet. That's where you'll find them. I'm really happy about how they turned out. I gotta apologize to people following the podcast on YouTube though, because I haven't uploaded any episodes there, so I'm working on revamping some of the podcast's visuals to be a bit better than they currently are. That could have definitely been done better and more thought through. The new audiograms and the new show notes visuals are examples of that, and I'm looking to push that overall look to any new videos and the eventual new website design for the podcast. I'm also thinking about other different places to put 750 mils on, like other video platforms and social networks besides the biggest ones out there. I like to cast as wide a net as possible and have the podcast available to as many people wherever they may prefer to be. Having a variety of choices is a good thing in my opinion. Again, thank you for tuning in. That really matters a lot. Organ transplants. What pops up in your head when you hear people say that? For me, it makes me think about one person sharing one of two organs with somebody else whose own organs aren't doing the job they're supposed to do anymore. Organs that come in pairs like kidneys. You keep one kidney, you give away the other one to someone who needs it, someone who would likely die without it. That's the win-win scenario in organ transplants. If you find yourself in trouble because some vital part of your body no longer works as it should, you should try to find an organ donor, maybe a relative or even a total stranger, if certain criteria relevant to compatibility are met. Then there's the one where the organ donor would no longer need the organ he or she's decided to provide to anyone who needs it in the case they may have passed away. And other people have benefited greatly due to people who have specified to have their organs donated in the event of their untimely demise. Why are we talking about this? Well, one of the reasons why is because there's an interesting and unusual case of an organ transplant situation that took place in India. Meet Isa Qureshi. Isa is the only child of her parents, and just over a month ago she was rushed to the hospital in serious condition. For the past six months, her face had been swelling and had been continuing to swell, along with having poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. And based on our diagnosis, she was immediately put on hemodialysis. This is because her kidneys were no longer working properly and she needed external help to clean and purify her blood to remove waste products circulating within her body. She was diagnosed with end-stage renal disease arising out of a complication called focal segmental glomerulosclerosis or FSGS, which, according to the Mayo Clinic, is a disease in which scar tissue develops on the parts of the kidneys that filter waste from the blood. It's a serious condition that can lead to kidney failure, for which the only treatment options are dialysis or kidney transplant. In Isa's case, she would die without a kidney transplant. But here's the thing, none of her close relatives could offer a healthy, compatible kidney along with a matching blood group. Apparently not her parents, not her grandparents, not her uncles or even aunts. Isa's case is unusual because she found a compatible donor by reaching four generations back right back to her great-grandmother on her mother's side. This unique double operation took place at Kokilabin Dirubai Ambani Hospital, and here's what Dr. Sharad Sheth, consultant and head of nephrology at KDAH, said about it. Quote, In my 40 years of practice, this is perhaps the most unique and exceptional transplant given the age and relationship of both the donor and the recipient. 
bridging the huge generation gap to give the child a second lease of life. End quote. The most important part? Both Isa and her great-grandmother are now doing well after this rare and very unusual kidney transplant situation. So, all's well that ends well. Isa and her grandmother are just two, shall we say, ordinary people who've gotten organ transplants. But there's a history of people who've gotten them and still manage to carry on living life as usual, successfully even. So let's look at some of the people on the more prominent side of things who've gotten organ transplants. Modern family Sarah Hyland suffered from kidney dysplasia, which would cause her excruciating pain during the first few seasons of the show. She got a healthy kidney from her father when she was 21. Gary Coleman from the classic TV show Different Strokes was born with a rare kidney condition called nephritis, and he received not one, but two kidney transplants. That wasn't enough though, as he also suffered from a bunch of other health problems, and he died at age 42. Grammy Award-winning R&B singer Natalie Cole, the daughter of jazz singer and pianist Nat King Cole, contracted hepatitis C during her long struggle against heroin addiction. She was able to get a healthy kidney transplanted from one of her fans. It's good to be famous. And speaking of famous, and probably most famously, Apple founder Steve Jobs got a liver transplant in 2009. Eventually, though, he died in 2011 due to complications from a form of pancreatic cancer. We also have David Crosby from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who got a liver transplant, and, fun fact, Phil Collins paid for it. Singer and actress Selena Gomez needed a kidney transplant after suffering complications from lupus. Didn't know she had that. And she got one from her friend and fellow actor, Francia Raisa. There are plenty of other famous examples, but I'll just end this list with one of my personal favorite organ transplant success stories, Alonzo Mourning. I'm a big fan of the NBA and Alonzo Mourning is one of the basketball players I enjoyed watching the most when the Miami Heat won the NBA championship in 2006 on the backs of Basketball Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal and future Hall of Famer Dwayne Wade, who are always in the arguments being two of the greatest players in the history of the sport. So what's interesting about Alonzo Mourning? Well, Alonzo was already a really good basketball player in his own right, even battling with the likes of Shaquille O'Neal before they joined forces for their 2006 championship run. He was a two-time Defensive Player of the Year and a Basketball Hall of Famer himself, just like Shaq. In 2003, he was forced to retire due to complications from his kidney disease. A bit later, he successfully underwent a kidney transplant and made his comeback to the NBA in 2004. His playing time was severely limited in comparison to how he played before issues with his kidney came to the fore. But in the limited minutes of action he saw, he showed the same ferocity on defense and hustle that not a lot of people would expect of a man who's had some pretty important parts of his body cut out and replaced, not to mention being all around steady in just about every other part of his game. Let's put it this way, a huge number of players with all their innards intact can't even touch what Alonzo Mourning has accomplished. So why am I so high on this guy and why should you care? It's simple. Alonzo Mourning is a perfect example of what's possible for you even if you feel like life's been throwing seemingly impossible to overcome odds at you. Think about it. Alonzo could have just given up, retired, let himself go, and just coasted throughout the rest of his life in, maybe, you could argue, mediocrity. But even though he was at a severe disadvantage, he took charge and focused on everything in his life that he could control. Whatever he could with his health, his own physical fitness, and his attitude and approach to everything he did. 
Attitude determines so much of what we can do. Because sometimes some people give up before they even try and they shoot themselves down before they even start. Alonzo Mourning didn't care about what he couldn't do. He cared about what he could do and he attacked it with a ferocity that would intimidate even some of the best players in the NBA, fellow Hall of Famers like himself. For this bit, it's better to show than to tell. So even if you're not a basketball fan, I'd like you to go to the show notes for this episode on 750ml.fm. Look for the show notes for episode 15, because I'm going to put the video on Alonzo Mourning's career retrospective after his induction to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And you will see exactly what I mean by how his attitude pushed him past whatever limits more ordinary people might have imposed on themselves. Ever hear about some people getting organ transplants and then developing cravings for food or doing stuff they previously never cared about? This is an actual thing. In 1988, a then 47-year-old Claire Sylvia from New England received a heart and lung transplant from an 18-year-old male who died in a motorcycle accident. She was dying from pulmonary hypertension, and the operation saved her life. But it also brought with it some really unexpected things. Things like cravings for chicken nuggets, beer, green peppers, and Snickers bars. She had also been previously quite sickly, but since getting a new heart, she's been healthier, more confident, and in better shape than she's ever been before. Claire's daughter even observed that her mother kind of walked like a man now. Even more interesting is that a few months after surgery, Claire had a dream about a tall young man with sandy hair who seemingly went by the name Tim L. Here's what Claire said about this in an interview. Quote, I woke up knowing that Tim L. was my donor and that some parts of his spirit and personality were now within me. End quote. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but here's a different reason why this is significant. For reasons of privacy, Transplant patients are never told the names of their donors, but Claire became determined to find her organ donor and learn more about him. After a few months, she found the obituary of one Tim Lamirande in a Boston newspaper. She wrote to his family and they agreed to meet up with her, and apparently Tim's parents and siblings confirmed his food preferences and some of his traits that matched up with Claire's experiences with her new post-transplant food cravings and traits. Claire continued to keep in touch with Tim's family out of gratefulness for the heart that kept beating within her and had kept her alive. There's more to Claire's story though. A few years later, she got a kidney transplant, this time in 1998, from her ballroom dancing partner and ex-boyfriend. After that, she started to really like cooking. Claire's experiences have since been chronicled in a book titled A Change of Heart, and this even spawned a 2002 film Heart of a Stranger, which stars Jane Seymour. So what causes organ transplant recipients to develop strange new cravings and even basically just change their personalities? The best current explanation is something called cell memory theory. Some scientists and physicians believe that the behaviors and emotions acquired by the recipient from the original donor are due to the combinatorial memories stored in the neurons of the organ donated. There's a study that had been published in the journal Quality of Life Research where researchers interviewed 47 patients who received a heart transplant over a period of two years in Vienna, Austria. They found that 79% of patients did not feel that their personality changed post-surgery. 15% experienced a change in personality due to the life-threatening event, and 6% did confirm a drastic change in their personality due to their new heart. 
While the percentage of personality changes as a result of an organ transplant hints to be insignificant, further research has been done to validate the existence of this concept. In a paper titled, Changes in Heart Transplant Recipients that Parallel the Personalities of Their Donors, which was published in March 2000 in the journal Integrative Medicine, researchers wanted to evaluate whether changes experienced by organ transplant recipients were parallel to the history of the donor. They looked at 10 patients who received a heart transplant and found 2 to 5 parallels per patient post-surgery in relation to their donor's history. These included changes in food, music, art, sexual, recreational, and career preferences, in addition to name associations and sensory experiences. There was even a patient who received a heart transplant from a man who was killed by a gunshot to the face, and the organ recipient then reported dreaming of seeing hot flashes of light directly on his face. That's not where it ends either. In one report, which may or may not have anything to do with cell memory theory, an Australian girl named Demi Lee Brennan received a liver transplant. Nine months after the initial transplant, her doctors discovered that she had changed blood types and that she had acquired the immune system of the donor due to the stem cells of her new liver transferring over to her bone marrow. Michael Storman, a hepatologist who treated Brennan at the Children's Hospital at Westmead, said, quote, In effect, she had a bone marrow transplant. The majority of her immune system had also switched over to that of the donor. End quote. Anyway, it's time for this episode's featured track, a song titled Elevate from the rock supergroup The Winery Dogs. The Winery Dogs are composed of singer and guitarist Richie Kotzen, who you may know from Poison, Mr. Big, and his own solo work. He's quite prolific. And then you have drummer Mike Portnoy, co founder of prog rock band Dream Theater and a few other supergroups apart from The Winery Dogs, and bassist Billy Sheehan who's worked for the likes of Steve Vai, David Lee Roth, Niacin, as well as Mr. Big. Billy is one of the best bassists you'll ever see and hear play the instrument. So you owe it to yourself to listen to just about anything he's involved with, really. And I'd recommend you start with the song. So check it out in the episode's show notes, or just refresh the 750 Mills featured track playlist if you're following it on Spotify or Apple Music. You are, aren't you? And it should appear in there along with all the other featured tracks that we've had all throughout the episodes of the podcast. Give it a listen. It's a good one. That's it for this episode of 750 Mills. Make sure you head on over to 750ml.fm to check out links to stuff we've talked about in here. That includes the featured track along with this episode's secret link that you should check out right now. Did you follow a link from social media to get to this episode? There's an easier and more convenient way to get episodes delivered to you automatically. It's like magic, but with technology instead. You can subscribe and listen to the 750ml's podcast on podomatic.com, Spotify, Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now Amazon Music Podcasts, and wherever else podcasts might be found. Just type in 750ml podcast in the search box and tap on the follow or the subscribe button, whichever one may appear for you. Links to all of that will be in the show notes for this episode as well, which you can find on 750ml.fm. That's 750ml.fm. And if you've been enjoying it so far, please consider leaving a star rating and review. Your feedback helps improve the podcast, and it can help other people find it as well. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with me, and hey, 2020's finally over. It's been rough for everyone, and I really hope that you've somehow managed to scrape by. 
I can imagine that for others it might be tougher still, but if you've managed to get by so far, just hang in there. Give yourself a chance to get to better things ahead. And this is the part of the show where I usually leave you with a parting thought, like a quote from somebody famous or, at the very least, someone a lot smarter than I am. I do this to give listeners something to think about and hopefully nudge them in the direction of a more positive, or at least a more productive mindset, even if it's just by a little bit. It's the end of the year, things were bad. What about next year? How should we look at things going forward, given everything we've been through? Is it even reasonable to try to be optimistic? Well, I won't tell you exactly what to do, but I'd like to give you some things to think about at the very least. Gandhi said that man often becomes what he believes himself to be. If I keep on saying to myself that I cannot do a certain thing, it is possible that I may end by really becoming incapable of doing it. On the contrary, if I have the belief that I can do it, I shall surely acquire the capacity to do it even if I may not have it at the beginning. So that's interesting. Harvey McKay says something similar. An optimist understands that life can be a bumpy road, but at least it is leading somewhere. They learn from mistakes and failures and are not afraid to fail again. And finally, another similar idea from Noam Chomsky. Optimism is a strategy for making a better future, because unless you believe that the future can be better, you are unlikely to step up and take responsibility for making it so. Hope you guys have a good day. I'll see you around.